Welcome to Lipstick Attitude, hosted by Dr. Elizabeth King, psychotherapist, hypnotherapist, author, and motivational speaker, specializing in trauma and women's mental health, and Yvonne Haas, psychotherapist and coach specializing in relationships, couples, and women's issues. This show is your dose of inspiration, information, and laughter. In each episode, Dr. King and Yvonne bring you hacks, tips, and inspiring stories to help you live a successful life. So ladies, grab your lipstick. It's time to do this. The Lipstick Attitude Podcast is powered by Suits, Stilettos, and Lipstick Foundation, a nonprofit movement to empower women and children from all walks of life to be resilient, self-confident, and purposeful leaders through education, mentorship, and community outreach. To learn more, visit sslwomen.org. Please note that this show is intended to empower and educate. It is not meant to be utilized as a substitute for individual therapy. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Elizabeth King, and this is The Lipstick Attitude. And my co-host, Yvonne Haas, is right alongside me. And we have a very special guest, Commissioner Dr. Barbara Sharif. So good morning, ladies. Good Good morning. morning. Good morning. And I don't know, for the folks that are going to be watching us, not just listening, you're probably going to notice that we're wearing pink today, which is very rare because uh, honestly, I don't love pink on me. I love pink, but I'm not on me. I'm always the red girl. So today I'm clashing with my red lipstick and my pink t-shirt, but it's such a worthy cause. And we wanted to make sure that we honored October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Ladies, if you haven't done your mammograms, get out there and do them. Make sure you're doing self exams. Make sure that you are taking well care of yourself. Uh, self-care is so important. Commissioner, you are in this world of healthcare, so I'm sure that you have uh, a lot to add to this as well. Yes, you know, it, it is so important that women take the time to do preventative health screenings in the form of mammograms, pap smears, um, self-examinations on a daily and uh, probably on a weekly basis. I know most people don't do it daily, but uh, I'm a bit of a, a, a fanatic in terms of making sure that everything on my body is right because I'm a doctor of nursing practice. And so I used, you know, it's so important that women touch and feel what's normal. And um, this is just a, a, a really good month for, to bring awareness to the fact that women need to take care of themselves. You know, we do a lot of caring for others in the form of taking care of our husbands and our kids. And we put everybody else first. And oftentimes we just forget about ourselves. And so if you're watching this, this is your opportunity to just think about how do you take time every day to take care of yourself and um, what that looks like on a yearly basis. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity to do so. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about World Mental Health Day, which I think it's so important. That's what Yvonne and I do on a daily basis. It's awesome that we have at least one day to remind folks that your mental health is really the most important part of your health. I believe that, you know, people don't give it enough importance and don't understand Mm -hmm. that it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to get out there and ask for help. Yvonne and I are both psychotherapists. We do this on a day-to-day basis. And certainly through COVID, we have seen an influx 
of more people coming in, um, needing, uh, you know, to process and talk about what's going on in their world. Um, so it's so important. Um, Yvonne, you want to add a little bit to that? Yeah, you know, it's um, interesting. So since COVID, we have just been packed. I mean, you know, people, you know, just really taking the time. You know, I think it made a lot of people realize that there were some things that they weren't handling well, you know, that they really needed to get a handle on and to improve their lives and improve their communication and relationships and who they are just as a person. You know, so it's it's been a really busy time. I'm hopeful that that means that maybe part of the stigma for mental health and the care mm -hmm. of your mental health might be reducing. We're not there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I think more and more people are becoming aware that it's okay to take care of your mental health the same way you would your physical health. Yeah, absolutely. You know, interestingly enough, through COVID and the influx of more people reaching out for mental health, I think that you're absolutely correct, Yvonne, that the stigma has been reduced. I am getting so many different referrals from people saying to their friends, people that they love, I, I have a therapist, it's okay for you to go out there and get a therapist and, mm -hmm. and talk to someone. I, I think that um, if anything good came out of COVID, I think this is one of them. And, and I'm excited for the future of people talking about mental health as if they were talking about their physical health without shame and uh, embracing the fact that we're all human beings and that we all need support at one time or another. So um, happy World Mental Health Day. I think Yvonne said it might have been uh, yesterday, but I think it should be every single day. Agreed, but we might be biased. Just throwing, Just throwing it out there. Today's <laughs> program is going to be so inspiring. Uh, the Courage to Lead with Commissioner Dr. Barbara Sharif. I am so excited to hear her story and share her story. Um, doc, uh, Dr. Sharif has been in our lives and uh, I'm going to have Yvonne uh, share her bio, but I just want to say that on a personal level, I respect you so much for everything that you're doing in our community. And uh, you've been a friend and a supporter of Suits, Stilettos and Lipstick Foundation for a very long time. So I am so thrilled and honored to have you here today. Thank you for having me. It's been such a ple pleasure and a privilege to be involved with this organization and to get to know you, Dr. Elizabeth, and to get to know you, Dr. Yvonne. <laughs> I just think that, um, you know, you all bring such an awareness to our community and for women that uh, we just wouldn't have if you weren't here. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank thank you. you. Yvonne, you wanna do the honors in, in sharing sure. her bio? Broward County Commissioner Dr. Barbara Sharif was born in South Florida and raised in Broward County and is a longtime resident of District 8. Professionally, Commissioner Sharif is an accomplished self-made businesswoman. In 2001, Commissioner Sharif founded South Florida Pediatric Home Care Incorporated, which serves residents of Broward and Miami-Dade counties and employs over 200 professionals throughout, the South, throughout South Florida and is considered one of the top home health care agencies in Broward and Miami-Dade counties. She has also been honored 
by Suits, Stilettos, and Lipstick Foundation, and as you heard, has been a huge supporter of our foundation for many, many years. All right, so let, let's get right into it. Ready? Yes. Okay, so what made you go into nursing and then ultimately open your home health care business? So I grew up, I had eight siblings, and my one of my younger brothers, he was born with cerebral palsy and hydrocephalus. And mm. uh, back then, that was a like a death sentence. They kept telling my mom every year that he wasn't going to make it. And I got real good with going to doctor's appointments and knowing about healthcare, and it, it piqued my interest. And um, what I learned over the period of time was that if I carried my brother around and treated him like he was normal, he thought he was normal. And so we didn't mm -hmm. need to make him feel like he had a disability. But for, so it, it kind of started my thought process in terms of people who had uh, what they call disabilities, treating them like they have special abilities. And so my brother, where he couldn't use his legs, he flew because he was with us on our back and <laughs> we were running around with him. And where he had hydrocephalus and he needed surgeries, we were pushing him and trying to make him feel as normal as possible. And so I really got into um, just, I wanted to know like what made my brother different, what made him um, uh, that kid that my mom had to be planning a funeral for all the time. And so I started just really getting involved in like wanting to know about healthcare and that kind of drove my passion for healthcare. And um, my father kind of pushed that, my mom pushed that and said, you know, if you really like doing this, you should be a doctor or a nurse. And so ultimately that's why I went into nursing. And then um, the home health, home health healthcare aspect of it came, I was moonlighting. I was working at Jackson Memorial Hospital. I was in the um, intensive care unit um, kids chemotherapy and then I moved into organ transplantation and at that time HIV and AIDS uh, was huge it was a pandemic and um, we had a lot of clinics set up to try to help people who were positive and who needed medication support and um, I'm really good at intravenous I, I, I put in IVs central lines pick lines all of that and so ended up being set up in a clinic working to take care of HIV and AIDS patients and from that a headhunter called me from a home health care agency and offered me like twice my salary to leave Jackson. And I did <laughs> gladly. <laughs> I was working, I was trying to, I was trying to buy a house. And um, as you know, us nurses, we usually work two or three jobs to try to do mm -hmm. that. And so I, I found a, you know, a way that I could purchase my house and earn a living and work less hours. And so I did that and I got into home health care. And um, after that, I was hired by a national company, worked for them for about three and a half years, had my second child. And that job required that I travel the United States to help other agencies. And um, I, my, my baby, Alyssa, was in the intensive care unit and I decided that I wanted to save my FMLA time and go back to work. So she would, cause she was in the hospital and she wasn't coming out cause she was preemie. So I go back to work, I'm on my third week postpartum and I go back to work and they say, great, she's back at work. We can send her on a plane to wherever. So I get my assignment and I'm running through the airport 
Now this is real. I have a Medela pumping style on my shoulder. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I, and um, I'm going through TSA and I'm dragging a suitcase behind me because I had a two day trip and they stopped me at TSA because they thought I had a bomb, but it was a Medela pumping style. <laughs> so they put this thing through the, <laughs> the system and they're like, what is this? You know, I said, that's a breast pump. And she's like, oh, okay. So she's like, open it up. So I open up the Medela pump and style and I'm showing her, like, here's the milk compartment. Here's the pump. Oh my goodness. The pump. And I'm standing up there and I'm explaining this. And as I'm explaining it, I get through TSA. They give me back my Medela pump and style. I got my suitcase and I'm running to the gate. And I run to the gate. And as I get there, I stopped and I had an epiphany. And I thought, why am I flying? all over the United States to make these people hundreds of millions of dollars when I could stay home, open up my own agency and be there with my kids. And I finished my assignment, I came back and I quit that six figure job and wow. I opened up South Florida Pediatric Home Care and that was a little over 20 years ago. Oh my wow. goodness. <laughs> wow. What a story. So the, the, breast, the breast pump was the, the, was the <laughs> that was the impetus. See, listen, women out there, anything can really be the, the thing that yeah. inspires you to move into the direction that you are meant to. Wow. It was just funny. Like I'm just standing there going, God, I mean, like, oh shouldn't everybody God. know what this is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny because that's what I was thinking. Who doesn't know what a breast pump is? Apparently, t apparently TSA didn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. I love that story. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. I also wanted to just say something before I ask you another question. But um, when you shared about your brother, I, I didn't know that uh, about your, your life story. Um, but it it really um, speaks to me because that's exactly what happened in my life. You know, yeah. my, my family, my mom, my single mother was uh, exactly like you were in that she made me feel like I wasn't disabled ever. I was just inconvenienced was the word that um, was always used. And so even though I had polio as a child and had, you know, I've had 36 surgeries, I never knew that I was disabled. I don't think I figured it out until I was in my 40s. So kudos to you for doing that for your brother. I am sure that that was such a positive impact on him. And uh, I'm sure that you know he was impacted in, in the way that I was impacted, uh, that you never use uh, your disability as an excuse for not doing what you can do. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that story as well. It spoke to my heart. So you, you've been a very busy woman. You're a successful entrepreneur, um, businesswoman, community leader. How do you ever, because I, I've been asked to run for political office and I am like, no, I can't do that. How do you ever say yes to that when you have such a busy life? how and why would you do that? So, you know, I've been blessed to be able to put the right people in place. Now, 
over this 20 years of being in business, you know, kissed a lot of frogs to get to my prince. And these ladies that work for me, they're that, they're my prince. Mm -hmm. They um, make me look incredibly good. Um, and I think it goes back to training and surrounding yourself with people with similar shared interests, right? Because you have to, you have to make sure that you have the right people in place to run your business. And so what happened is as a result of me getting to these, this um, synergy with my, my uh, people that work with me, uh, it's, it freed up a lot of time. I found myself going to work once a week and I was just signing checks and uh, you know they would say, boss, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm just coming to work. And they're like, I would sit in my office and I was waiting for people to come by like they used to. And they were gone and they were doing their own thing. And so uh, some of my neighbors, because I'm that, I'm that PTA mom that everybody, when I walk in the room, they go, oh God, she's here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like I am that vocal person. I'm that one that call you out when you don't do what you're supposed to do, right? So I was doing that in my neighborhood. Um, I was involved in my kids' school. I mean, I was the Wednesday and Friday ice cream lady in the cafeteria. I was working in my kids' class because I just had nothing else to do because my business was running so efficiently. And my neighbor said, you know what? You're so vocal and you're always advocating for people. You should run for office. And so I said, what? I'm a nurse. I'm a business owner. Like, where does that fit in? And um, they got together and... Um, my neighbors in my community walked and knocked on doors and I ran for county commission. And the seat that I hold right now is the seat I ran for in 2005 and lost. So I lost this seat to an 18 year incumbent. She spent about $600,000 beating me and I spent about 69,000. I lost by 1500 votes. Oh, and my neighbors and I, yeah, we were devastated. I was completely devastated because for those type A personality people like me um, that are never losing at anything because we work so hard, it was so devastating to have that loss. And um, I was so disappointed because I knew I was doing it for the right reasons, but it just didn't work out that time. And then I realized something about politics and that is name recognition is everything. You know, you can have a fantastic platform and you can be doing it for the right reasons, but if people don't know who you are, they're not gonna vote for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And so I learned a valuable lesson that time. And that's how I really got into the political arena. And then after I got in, um, I just started working on things that I thought were important and come to find out a lot of other people thought those were important too. And uh, just, it, it, it's just been, a 13-year journey that I never expected to be on this long. So, you know, just red light cameras was one of the most, uh, the biggest things. I remember um, they started putting red light cameras up on every corner mm -hmm. and the Sheriff's Association and all the police officers and the Mark Wendell Foundation. And they were saying, oh, that's, these are all for safety. And I said, mm, not for safety, if only the uh, lowest income people pay them and you're using vehicle estimation monitoring devices to figure out which intersections to put them on so you can make the most money. Mm -hmm. So I figured if it's about safety, 
it would be on every intersection, right. not just a few. And so I challenged them. And this went on for probably somewhere around 10 months. And when I started that, I was on an eight to one vote and people were voting against me. And so every time I saw I was gonna lose, I deferred the item. <laughs> and so I could, try, I could try to keep the item alive because you know, if you lose, you can't bring it back for six months. Mm -hmm. So I used my deferral powers to defer it after I introduced all the information. And then I had another colleague who got on board and she deferred it the next time so that we could keep getting votes. And then finally, at the end, when it was like the last time that we could bring the item back, it ended up passing on a 9-0 vote to stop them from patching into Broward County's infrastructure and giving out more tickets. Wow. And um, I just learned very quickly at that point, that was, two, uh, that, took, that was my second year on the commission. And I learned that if I believed in something and if I knew that it was right, that I shouldn't be afraid to stand by myself mm -hmm. and have the courage to stand in that conviction and stop what it is that was going to occur. And I just, from that point on, I found my voice to say, I don't think that's right. I'm not gonna vote for that. And I don't care if I'm on, a, on the a losing side of it. The people in my district didn't put me here to just go along with whatever you're doing. They put mm -hmm. me here to be a voice. And so that's why I feel like just being a voice of one is okay. Uh, as long as you know that you're advocating for the majority of these the people out there and doing what's right, be okay. Awesome. Yeah, not a fan of those cameras, only because I found out they work very well. That's, it. That's all I'm gonna say about that. So, um, so in your journey, because, you know, people see the end result of everything and things look glamorous and they look beautiful and they look so put together and all of those great things. I know Dr. King and I have experienced a lot of that too, that people think it was obviously just easy. So, but in your journey of building and growing your business, what was the hardest thing that you personally had to deal with? Um, I would say there was one, which is lack of access to capital you know all small businesses go through that but what i think people lose sight of is like, they see me now and they think oh she doesn't have any of those problems she never had that, that problem mm -hmm. well guess what mm -hmm. i had a 780 credit score when i started my business i walked into a bank i got a signature loan for three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and uh that was to start my my business off and um Lo and behold, after I started it off, everything, furniture bills, office bills, rent, everything was in my personal name guaranteed by me uh, along with my business. And so that changed my debt to income ratio. And so what happened is that nice 780 credit score, it was nice, it stayed up there, I was paying my bills, but my debt to income ratio looked really off because I had all these bills that the business was paying that I wasn't responsible for personally on my credit report. And one of the things about entrepreneurship is that people don't understand that in the beginning, in those first five or seven years, they dump everything on your personal credit. And that mm -hmm. causes a problem with you getting a business loan. And so I struggled with growing my business because I had lack of access to capital, which most small businesses do. 
The mm -hmm. system is not set up for entrepreneurs um, to be able to get loans easy. And um, that's a problem. It's something that I've talked about at length. It's something that I really feel like the SBA needs to change its restrictions and guidelines so that it can change what the lending, lending industry does in general to small business owners and startups. And so um, that was the biggest hurdle and obstacle I ever had to overcome. And um, I still have it now. Like, um, let's see, I'm 20 years in. So 15 years in, you know, I, yeah, I decided to buy a building. I had bought already one, bought my second and my third building. And um, my company was just growing and I needed to get a bigger office. So I went into a bank and I had, of course, all my financial documents prepared. I had everything they could possibly want, accounts, receivables, everything. Went in and I gave it to the banker. The banker says, okay, we'll get back to you. He called me in and he sat me down and he looks at me and says, wow. I said, what, what is a wow? I was thinking, okay, that's going to be another no, right? He said, um, I never in 30 years of banking seen a black female owner with this type of EBITDA. Less mm. expenses before taxes and depreciation. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've just never seen this before. And he said, this is unbelievable. So I'm sitting there and I'm completely puzzled. So I said, are you saying that in 30 years, you've not seen a black business owner like me? And I said, that's a problem because that means your expectation for women, black business owners is very low because I don't think I'm a Bill Gates or Warren Buffett by any stretch of the imagination. I can budget and balance a checkbook. And um, <laughs> I said, um, okay, well, does that mean I got the loan? And he said, yes. And I, I told him how what he said to me puzzled me. And I said, well, I want to know exactly how that's going to affect me down the line with this loan. And he said, well, let's just put it this way. You are like a unicorn. And of course, at that point, now I'm really offended. So he says, that's a compliment. I said, you just called me a unicorn. He goes, no. He goes, that means like out of hundreds of thousands of people, like you're one, you're special. So I said, okay. So at that point, I thought this may not be the bank for me because I'm a little bit too liberal for that. <laughs> and I think... <laughs> <laughs> I'm too much of a feminist to have a man telling me I'm a unicorn. And um, I think women, women power, you know. So I, I get up from there and um, I leave. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, one, I'm going to another bank, which I did. And I got my building financed and we're in and we're good. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, I have to do something about this because if, if I'm a unicorn, that's because I survived what it was that they were throwing at me. And that means that a lot more are not. And mm -hmm. so I kind of made it my mission to talk about changing SBA guidelines and, um, you know, getting, getting, doing that on not just a local level, but on a national level. We need to do that. 
That's that's great. That's so great. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking we need three hours with you, honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This is just not enough. I feel like I have so many questions to ask you. And I I just want to make an open invitation to you anytime you want to come back to the show. You always have so much to share. Um, I know I've heard this before, but I want you to share this with our listeners. Um, when you were young, you your family was affected by gun violence. I want you to share with us how it impacted you and your career path. Um, I think that that's such an important story to share. Sure, so I can talk about this story now. And I know when I say it, people look at me and go, how, how can you not be bawling, crying, okay? So let me just say, I believe in God and I believe that he has a purpose for all of us. And um, I found my purpose. My dad, when I was 14, I was in my 11th grade summer of high school. And I say that because people look at me and go, what, 14? Yes. I was double promoted. I was one of those kids that went from the third grade to the fourth grade to the fifth grade in one year because I was just um, that advanced in terms of what... um, my educational background was prior to getting into public schools. And uh, my dad went to work on in August of 1987 with my 19-year-old sister and a 15-year-old walked up to him and put a gun to his chest and proceeded to rob him. And he shot him in his heart, in his chest in front of my sister and he died on the spot there. And what that did is it changed my trajectory of my life. My mother was widowed with eight kids And I was supposed to go to medical school. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician and my dad was going to pay for that. And what people don't know is that my dad, he he had no more than a ninth grade education, yet he had built a women's clothing business that was so successful, like it didn't even need a a store. He had a mobile women clothing business and we would go to work with him all the time. I was a daddy's girl. And some people used to say, like my dad would sit down and I would run up under his armpit. I would just jump underneath his arm and they called me his deodorant because that's how close (laughs) I was to my dad. And so um, that morning when he got ready to leave for work, my sister jumped in front and got in the front seat and she went to work with him and she witnessed that. And what I would say is that it, uh, life became very difficult uh, at that point because my mom had eight kids. She was a retired uh, elementary school English teacher and um, we struggled. I had to work three jobs to put myself through nursing school. So I was a part-time key holder at Lane Bryant's I worked as a waitress for Morrison's Custom Management. <laughs> and um, my work study was me standing at, sitting at the front desk and letting people in and out of my dormitory all night and all day. And so I did that to get through school. I didn't have food to feed myself. My auntie worked in the church kitchen. And what she did is she had me fill up these little um, plastic containers every Sunday and I would put them in the freezer. And that's how I ate going through nursing school. Wow. And I, my, my story, I guess, is a, it's a little bit, you know, non-traditional in the sense that, you know, I had a lot of struggle in the beginning. And then 
all of a sudden, you know, here, um, I had these openings where I completed nursing school and I had these opportunities to kind of move up. I continued to go to school, finished off. I got a, a bachelor's of science, master's of science, advanced practice registered nurse degree, minor in business, and a doctor of nursing practice. So I have no lack of education there, but um, it changed my, it changed the path of my life tremendously to have my father um, lost as a, as a, in relation to gun violence, but it also gave me a different perspective as I handled gun violence as the mayor of Broward County. And um, it really gave me more determination to make sure that I go and change things. And I was working very diligently with the Obama administration and TSA to try to change some of the rules when the airport shooting occurred. And one of the things that both of you ladies should know since you're in mental health is that most of these gun mass shootings have a mental health component to them, whether it be a history of violence, domestic violence, or whether it be psychiatric conditions. And so we have to do better with that. And the young man who killed my father at 15 had a rap sheet that looked like a Webster's Dictionary. And he was, um, he, he was arrested for all kinds of stuff, domestic violence, battery, um, assault. So we, 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 we as a community need to really do better with that. Wow. You know, as you shared that story, you not only not lack uh, a bunch of uh, education and degrees, but you don't lack drive, woman. I can't <laughs> believe how much you have done. Oh, my goodness. Just in awe of you every time I speak to you. Oh, thank you. So, so now that you're terming out from Broward County Commission District 8, seat um, in November where you've been since you know 2010 and you were also mayor twice obviously you were bored in all your free time kind of thing. <laughs> while <laughs> we, she was getting her doctorate while she's getting a doctorate yeah, you know yeah. we want to know what your future plans are because if you're just going to be sitting on the beach eating bonbons we're going to join you <laughs> right <laughs> but where, where do you go from here so where I go from here um you know, all of what I've done in my life, I feel like it's kind of converged into what I want to do for my future. And that is, I want to be in Congress. I want to run for Congress. I am running for Congress. Actually, the election is like three weeks away. What am I talking about? Yeah, I was going to oh say, wow. God. you are running for Congress. Yes. I am running for Congress. I am actually almost there. November the 2nd is the election. And we are in full swing. And, um, you know, I just think it has been an awesome opportunity that has been presented to me to run for Congress. Um, like I said, you know, being elected statewide for to represent, I'm the first and only African American female that has ever been elected to the Florida Association of Counties in its 80 something year history, wow. first and only. And I served that uh, all 67 counties, I was elected by Republicans and Democrats. And uh, I did that on a national level. I went to National Association of Counties. I sat for nine years on a bipartisan health steering committee, which is where I used the majority of my nursing background and business background, trying to help to fix the Affordable Care Act and decrease prescription drug costs. And then of course I was advocating for common sense gun laws with TSA when the Obama administration was in. And now um, in my spare time, I chair the Opioid Lawsuit Task Force here in Broward County. 
and we're going to be getting some money. That one's coming to an end. So hopefully before I'm out, we'll, we'll see that money come in. And uh, I sit on the 16 County Coalition Water Resource Board and the Metropolitan Planning Organization for 13 years. And so um, these are all things that kind of converged and were very synergistic with um, running for Congress and what President Biden had put forth. And I just feel like it just put me in such a great position to really win and represent my district. And so um, we'll see what happens on November the 2nd, but I'm feeling pretty positive. Well, best of luck to you. Yeah. And, and on top of that, you co-authored a book recently too, right? Oh, yes. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, minor detail. Right. Just a book. An Just author book. on top of everything else. <laughs> this is called no glory without a story, but it's called insomnia, really. Hold on, let me get it right. Insomnia, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the outcome. That's the outcome. <laughs> oh, we get it. Get <laughs> it completely. But, yeah, um, that this book I co-authored, and um, it just talks about um, starting a business. My chapter is um, From Vision to Victory. And uh, it, my chapter just really tells people about my struggle because I think that when somebody sees a, a, a successful business, they really don't know all of what you've gone through to get there. And mm -hmm. uh, it they tend to minimize the struggle. And so I just wanted to bring some reality to an entrepreneur's struggle and so I wanted people to know that nothing was easy starting out. It's not easy right now. And um, that I, I think you should set, you should manage your expectations of yourself and what your first year, second year, third year looks like, and just really focus on building on each year. And as you focus on building each year, then you know, before you know it, you turn around and you're five years in and you say, wait a minute, I survived my first five years. And um, profits come, you know, you have to be dedicated. I'm doing something I love. I love caring for people. But, um, you know, just always remember if you're going to start a business, do something that you love. So you make it fun, even when there's tough times. That's awesome. What, what great advice. As a single mom and an entrepreneur and a politician, you've been in public in the public eye for so long. What would you tell women that are out there listening to this podcast and or seeing us right now? Uh, what would you say to them? Because a, a, a lot of women don't see their own potential. What would you advise them? What would you give them as a takeaway message? Oh my goodness. So um, I'm known on the campaign trail for telling people to wake up, okay? Mm -hmm. Women, one, we outvote men three to one in every election. I am not sure why there's not more women elected to office, but I do say this to women. When you're out there and you're juggling all these things that uh, you think are important, you know, you've got your kids stuff that you think are important. You've got your husband stuff that you think are important. And you've got your work, work stuff. And you've got buckets of stuff. But you never make one for yourself. And so what I tell them is, one, I live by the planner. I know we have iPhones. I know we're 
we, we have technology, but I make sure I write it in my planner. I make sure I block off time for myself. For those of you out there who are listening, it is Friday. Don't call me on Friday. I am going to be on a massage table face down, getting some much needed therapy and some mental mm -hmm. health support. Okay. I think women don't do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't carve out time for ourselves. Um, and we don't know how to say no and smile. Come on, mm -hmm. let's do it together. No. No. <laughs> no. No. Let's do it, No. Yes, no. Um, we don't know how to say no. And I learned a long time ago that I, I need to say no to some things. And so um, that's, as a, as a single mom, you know, even my kids, I had to learn to say no. My daughter called me this morning like, no, yes, last night saying, mom, I'm going to need to do some laundry. And uh, my, my washer is, my dryer is not working. And I was like, uh, and when do you plan on doing that? And she said, I'm going to come over. I said, well, uh, you can come over and do that whenever you want, but don't expect for me to be here because I've got other things to do. And I think that we're, when we're talking about all these things that come at us as women and entrepreneurs, you know, you're juggling payroll. Payroll is very stressful. Please do not fool yourself into thinking that paying a couple hundred people every other week is not stressful. I mean, when that payroll comes around, that's like a mortgage, okay? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I think you have these, these added stressful touch points as an entrepreneur. I had them as a single mother. Thank God I've got my 23-year-old and my 20-year-old just graduated from UCF. They're now down here trying to pursue medical degrees. They're trying to go to medical school. My 14-year-old decided that she wants to be an engineer. She said a couple weeks ago, she came to me and said, Mom, I don't want you to be mad at me. And I, I just, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't want to do anything in medicine. And I said, Haley, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything in medicine just as long as you get off my checkbook. <laughs> <laughs> You just remember, let them do whatever it is they want to do that makes them happy. As long as you don't have to keep writing those checks for them to live, that's okay. Um, and and that's, that's kind of been my motto. So in my house, um, yeah, I learned how to say no. I learned how to juggle. Um, I keep everything on a schedule and I make sure I take time for myself. You're no good to anybody unless you take care of yourself. You can't be good to yourself. You can't be good to your kids, or your husband, or your business. So self-care is important. I, I love that message and one that we're always talking about and trying to live, uh, live it ourselves. I mean, Yvonne and I were just talking about it even before we jumped on, on the Zoom call. You know, how are we carving out time? And what I hear from that message is boundaries, setting boundaries uh, with your kids, with your loved ones, uh, with your business, and making sure that, uh, that you are on the top of the list. Because without you, you really have nothing, right? So yeah. I, I love that. Um, I have this, I love this question. We ask our guests, all of our guests this question because part of what the lipstick attitude is, is showing women 
how is it that we are living to our full potential, our purpose? And so I want to know, what do you want your legacy to, to be after all said and done? You know, it's funny. I, my, uh, somebody asked me that and I, I said, my legacy, I want it to be that people knew that I worked for my community, that I tried to help as many people as I possibly could, and that um, I, I built on my father's legacy, which my father, he had a food bank program and he, he was working on stopping hunger. Mm. And um, he believed in real rehabilitating people from the criminal justice system. So he oftentimes would hire people who had come out of prison and he would train them and help them work. My legacy, I, I, I started, or I've been doing Go Orange in Broward County, which is a feeding, uh, feeding building up um, our feeding stock for um, people who are food insecure through Feeding South Florida, and also um, stopping homelessness and allowing people to achieve the American dream, which is first time home ownership. I want my legacy to be that I didn't just hold public office, but I brought a, I, I reached back and I brought a community forward with me as I um, went on this journey of public office and being a public servant. And I want my children to know that as a woman, as a businesswoman, as a nurse, that um, I used every tool in my arsenal to help as many people as I possibly could. And I want them to give back in that way because I think it's a blessing. And so my legacy has to be that I helped my community as best as I could with my representation and my presence on this county commission and in any public office I've held. Well, you are living your legacy right now in full force. So <laughs> th thank you, um, Commissioner. You are an absolute delight and light in our community. Uh, I, I love this time with you, and I know that uh, we are going to spend more time together. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Sure. It's been my pleasure. We also understand that you have a giveaway for our listeners. What is your giveaway? Well, for your two listeners who call in, I am going to give away two signed copies of my book um, dedicated to them and hopefully some very willing entrepreneurs get this book and read it. There's some great stories in here and um, it's no glory without a story and I will sign them and get them to you and hopefully we can get people to start reading them and building businesses because that's what we are about. Does Yvonne, Yvonne, do you and I count for the giveaway? <laughs> I'm ready to sign why, up. Why do you need some information on starting a new business? Yes. Watch this. No. I'll send four. Not happening. No, I'm, I'm sending four. And and I'll include this in the show notes as well so everybody can reach it. But where can our listeners find you to stay connected with you? Okay, so um, if they like to connect, they can go to barbarasharif.com. That's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-S-H-A-R-I-E-F.com. Or you can dial 
357-7008. And uh, that's directly to my office. And then um, the book is being sold on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Awesome. And I think Books a Million as well. They all had different rollout dates, but you'll find them on all three eventually. Awesome. And if they wanted to connect with you um, to find out more about your platform, since you are running for congressional office, how could they do that? Would so they can contact me at 954-743-9240. That's 954-743-9240. Or um, just Barbara Sharif for Congress.com. That's my first and last name for Congress.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was so awesome to have you on our show. And again, you have an open door anytime you would like to come back. I would love to have you back. You're awesome. You're amazing. Oh. And we're ready now. Everybody, whip out your lipstick. This is the lipstick attitude. And this is our war paint. So ladies, let's go ahead and put it on. This is our war paint. This is our reminder that we can do it, that we have the courage to lead like Commissioner Dr. Sharif, that we can get out there and live our purpose. That no matter what circumstances are in our lives right now, we can overcome and we can do what we were meant to do on this earth. So don't let anybody, including yourself, tell you otherwise. <laughs> Keep out there doing your thing. Thank you for being part of this journey. Thank you for listening and, and supporting our mission of empowering women and children. Commissioner, you're awesome. Thank you so much for your support throughout the years and best of luck to you on your uh, on your election. I hope that everything goes exactly the way it's supposed to be. I think it will. I think it will. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen. And remember everyone, if you like what you heard and want to support this podcast and our future programs, please text SSL Women to 44321, SSL Women to 44321. And you can find out how to connect and donate right there. Also, please go to SSLWomen.org. That is our website. We are getting ready to kick off our toy drive. It is the 20th annual John and Elizabeth's toy drive and fundraiser. And we hope to be collecting toys for thousands of children in this area. So if you would like to donate or participate, SSLwomen.org. Thank you again for listening. And we hope to see you and hear from you on our next episode.